Blog Talk Radio. Hi, welcome to Teach Me to Talk with Laura and Kate. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist. Hi, Laura. I'm Kate Hensler, developmental interventionist with the First Step Program in Louisville, Kentucky. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm hot, but I'm good. It has it's been Thursday. hot this week. Woo-wee. I thought today it's blistering. I mean, it is gross hot, but oh well. You know, it feels like home to me. <laughs> Not me, but oh well. I know. I know. I know. Home by now. Was, Mississippi was always this hot when yeah. I was a little girl growing up. So, but anyway, it's been hot for Louisville and the East Coast. They've had record-breaking temperatures this week. Yeah. All right. Today's show. Well, before we start talking about that, I do want to say that I have been so excited about the emails that I've gotten in the last week from listeners from the podcast uh, who heard me talk about the continuing education conference that I'm having in Indianapolis on August 26th. I've gotten so many emails about that, so I'm so excited. And questions have always been, when is the registration link going to be available? And I should be putting that on in the next week or so, but I'm waiting on the official ASHA approval before I start taking money for that. And speech pathologists know that ASHA is our body of uh, credentialing. It's the American Speech and Hearing Association, and they actually approve uh, conferences so that speech-language pathologists can count that toward their continuing education unit requirement for the year. And I'm waiting for that official approval, and it was delayed this week because of the Fourth of July holiday, but we should have that next week. Uh, It's what the person told me when I talked with them yesterday. So, (coughs) excuse me, keep checking back on the website at teachmetotalk.com, and then the mailers should go out to all of our um, providers that work in First Steps of Indiana as the day that I hear um, or get that notice from ASHA that that's officially approved. And I'm so excited that so many people are interested in coming, and I know it's going to be a great conference. So thanks for contacting me. That's really made me even more excited about it. Laura, I'm not sure if you said when and where is it scheduled, just so people listening who don't know can. It's August 26th, and that's a Thursday. And it's in Indianapolis, or right outside Indianapolis, at the Hotel Indigo in Fishers, and that's off I-69. And so um, I think it's pretty convenient. And you can just, again, look for registration information. There's already a post about it on the website at teachmetotalk.com, but there's not a way to officially register for that yet. But, again, I don't want to take money until that's, I've officially gotten that approval from ASHA, but that hopefully that will be up by the end of next week. Maybe next Thursday on the show I'll be saying that registration is open. But seating is limited. It's not a huge, huge room. I think we'll have 50 to 60 seats available. So uh, be sure that if you want to attend that, that you're checking the website and, and getting right on that. I'd hate for you to miss out because you dilly-dallied on that. So. And I'm such a last-minute person. It's so funny for me to even say that. A lot of times I just pay at the door. Do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm afraid with with this one that it will probably fill up from um, just based on the response that I've gotten in a week. 
uh, from people that are interested in coming. So don't be like me and think that you can just show up that day because we may have to turn you away. That would totally break my heart. And we should have some other dates in Indiana coming up soon, but I don't have those booked yet, and so I'm reluctant to talk about dates and cities until all that's official. But hopefully I'll have some other announcements. But that's very exciting for me, and I'm, I'm so excited to uh, get to do that. And I'm not surprised. Anybody who's been to your website or seen your DVDs uh, knows that you're really good at what you do, and you'll be a great speaker. So well, it's going to be a lot You'll of be fun. the kind that you walk around, away from saying, oh, I'm going to go see her the next time because I learned so much because you're very practical and hands-on. It's all about, you know, what is it, taking therapy to the floor, theory to the taking floor. theory that? to the floor, <laughs> and it's all about stuff people can use and really things that they can use on Monday morning or Friday morning when they go back to work. No blah, 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 you know, for hours and hours and hours about, assessment and identification of children, blah, blah, blah. We're not doing any of that. It's all therapy-related, stuff you can really use. I've got some really cool checklists that will help you determine, kind of I'm calling it the simple hierarchy for treatment so that when you get a baby, when you get a two-year-old that's not talking, you kind of can hit the ground running and think about right from the get-go, what's my priority here? And so I think it's going to be really, really useful. And I, I love the checklist. I'm using the checklist now kind of as a way to make sure that it's really functional. In my practice, Kate, I should probably zip that over to you in a day or two and let you kind of look at that and see what you think. Give me your feedback. And, again, I want to um, Feedback, thank nothing. You. I'll, be, I'll be using it. <laughs> I feel always I need 100 more copies. <laughs> <laughs> no, but your feedback is always so great. And speaking of that, the Teach Me to Play With You manual is out. And I was telling Kate this morning on the phone, I gave her a copy yesterday or my husband dropped it off. And her name is splattered throughout that whole darn book because she always gives me tons of great ideas and helps me kind of put a different twist on some things or think about it in a different way. And it always makes it more usable and more fun. And so when you get your copy of that manual to our listeners, look for Kate's name because it's all in there. Okay. Oh. Yeah, you'll have now you'll go home and like really read it to try to find where you're listed. Yeah. <laughs> really. Close as I'm ever gonna get to a being in a book, I can tell you that. Having my name right. on it. It's having my name in it, thanks to you. So I do appreciate uh, the the nod. Oh well good. All right. Well, let's move on. And I do wanna to say too that today's show is only going to be about forty five minutes because I have a mom commitment this afternoon, and I need to scoot on out and make sure that I'm not late for that. So we need to do that. And I'm still sick. Can you hear it in my voice, Kate? I'm going on week three of this respiratory thing that will not go away. So I may be coughing and trying to mute if um, that happens. It is rather an occupational hazard. We see just as all therapists who work with young kids, lots of kids with some sort of goo going on. And it's not uncommon for us to end up with it. So I feel your pain. I'm sure I'm right behind you. Well, I hope not. I hope you stay healthy. You had a lot of, um, you were sicker some earlier in the year when I wasn't sick for a long time. And so I hope you can go a long, long time without being sick. Sick in the summer is, you're hot. It's kind of miserable. So anyway, all right, we've blah, blah, long enough. Let's move on to the real topic today. 
Um, and let me just go ahead and give out the number. Our call-in number is one seven one eight seven six six four three three two. If you're a mom or a therapist listening and want to call and ask us a question, that would be great. But we're going to move on today and talk about tips for parents to maximize the effectiveness of therapy sessions at home. And this is from uh, an article on my website at teachmetotalk.com. And the subtitle of this is Top Ten Things Your Therapist Wants You to Know and May Be Way Too Nice to Tell You Herself. And I do know that uh, a couple therapists have emailed me and said that they actually print this off and give this to parents on their initial visit so that they don't have oh. to say some of this stuff. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> well, Laura, so, you are the queen of, you know, it's so ironic because people always think, Kate's so direct, she's a northerner, and I guess I am, but in my work life I'm not always so um, courageous and Maybe because I know I don't know how to sugarcoat it and make it sound nice. It just comes out northern and somewhat rude. And so you are always able to say things that I'm thinking, yeah, I'm so glad. I mean, that's exactly what needed to be said. But you say it in a way that they smile and say, oh, okay. And I'm always afraid because my way doesn't sound so nice. Sometimes I literally think, what would be the Laura spin on that? How would Laura put that? Maybe I can come up with the right answer if I try and frame it in that kind of – but it's true. You do – you're very good at saying things that do need to be said, whether it be about the specific child or, what you know, how you want the therapy session to go or what they can do to help you. And I'm still working. That's a work in progress. I, I may end up a southerner yet, but so far I was still coming out like a northerner. <laughs> I was going to say, that's the benefit of growing up in the South. You learn how to say things that sound terrible, but in a really <laughs> nice kind of, as you would say, sugar-coated kind of way. So everybody gets the message, but nobody's feelings are hurt. But right. the article on the website is pretty cut and dry about it, and I guess that's why it's been easier for therapists to kind of copy that and hand it to a mom and say, okay, see you next week. So mm-hmm. let's talk about and I didn't write this, but you can read it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a little bit helpful, so here you go. Yeah. Okay. All right, number one, minimize the distractions from other people for your child, especially during the initial session. So if you're a mom and you know that you're starting therapy, or even if you've been doing a therapy a long time, and you are thinking, okay, we are not accomplishing very much here. You might want to look or, or, you know, my child is not really staying with her wanting to play or this doesn't, you know, it just feels like we're getting interrupted or my kid's not paying attention. One thing that you can really do is work to minimize those distractions, and that would mean that you don't have extra people over at your house, whether it be grandma or whether it be the neighbor kids. And, boy, that's a challenge in the summer with siblings and, you know, with everybody being out of school, with people kind of coming and going from the house, that makes it really, really tough for a toddler to want to stay and play with the therapist. And even, you know, with the mom kind of going in and out of the room to corral the other kids and make sure everybody is doing what they're supposed to be doing and not distracting, you know, that's even kind of... um, disruptive to some children when their mom keeps kind of going in and out of the room. So please do your best to try to minimize therapist. It's so much easier for me, especially when I'm working to establish a relationship with a child in the beginning and they might still be a little scared of me or they don't realize how much fun we're going to have yet. It is really, really easier if things aren't chaotic around us to make that happen. So 
And I've had some mommies who do, like, a great job of that. They'll have special toys that they bring out for the older siblings only during a therapy session, or they'll make sure there's a movie on upstairs that the older sibling can watch, or, you know, they'll shoo the kids over to the neighbor's house. They really orchestrate it so that you're not, and it is. Some kids do, they just, you know, have the instinct to love to play, and it's not a big problem. Other kids, especially kids who may have some sensory issues going on, you know, if there's a lot of busy, busy, whether it's in the very next room or a lot of these open floor plans, the next room is essentially the same room, and if there's a lot of activity, it's pretty darn hard to hold, even as try try as we may, to be so much fun and so engaging for some kids, it's just a losing battle. So if they can make that happen, that sure makes our lives and the therapy session go a lot better. It really does, and then the parents can pay better attention, too, when you're not constantly having to take care of other things that are going on. I've had mothers um, that have babysitters for the other kids, and, again, if you can afford that, that's a great option to have another adult complete or older teenager completely responsible for your other children during that time so that you can focus all of your attention on the therapy session too. So that's a great option if you can do that. Um, Sometimes grandparents really want to come watch sessions, and I love that, and I never would want to turn a grandparent away unless they aren't going to do everything that they can do to not make their presence not be a complete distraction or disruption of the day. And so usually I tell parents, I'm so excited that grandma or grandpa wants to come watch, but that needs to be, you know, four weeks from now, six weeks from now, after we've really gotten into some routines and established some patterns, and then I'm more than welcome to have other people come. And I want other people to see what we're doing so that they can carry that over and the child has more opportunities and expands his social circle. And, you know, if they're a new signer, grandma and grandpa know the signs because they've seen us work on it and do it, and so that works great. But not for week two or week three when you're still really getting to know a child. And sometimes by then we don't even have a good read on a kid, and then then it doesn't go well, and then you have the negativity of a grandparent maybe saying to the mom, well, I don't know what you're doing that for. You know, that's completely not going to work. So you want to make sure, again, that you give everybody an ample opportunity to warm up and get our program and our routines going before you bring lots of extra people in. You might videotape. That would be an alternative for um, grandparents to kind of see what's going on in a session. Some therapists might feel weird about that and might not want you to do it, so be sure that you're talking with your therapist and getting her permission and um, so that she's okay with that. I'm fine with being videotaped after those hours and hours and hours. I guess you are. (laughs) I say, bring it on. And I haven't had too many do it. I used to be weird. Anymore, I I don't care. It's like whatever. I don't really care who watches me with the exception of if it's going to be really disruptive and distracting to the child, then I kind of care. But as far as, you know, normally once we've seen a child for a little while, and it's it's very child-specific. It could be a week. It could be a month. Sometimes it's six months. So once once we, we like to say we've got them, that means, right. okay, they get me, I get him, it's going well, he enjoys it. Once we've got that, I don't care. And the video thing, I just think, whatever, you know. I mean, I don't even, I don't even act like I see it. I just do my normal thing, and if I me have too. to be taped, then so be it. 
that's how I feel about it. But you do want to talk to your therapist about it because she might have different feelings about it. I'm on this listserv with other speech pathologists, and they are there have been some negative things about they didn't want therapy to be videoed because they um, didn't know that if it, if it would end up on YouTube or they just felt like there were some confidentiality things. I don't really get that, but whatever. Um, just be sure that you're talking with your therapist and preferably the week before that you want to do it so that if she's really uncomfortable about it, as you're taking the lens off the camera, might not be the best time to ask her. It probably should be a week or so before so she can plan and kind of expect it and know and have some time to think about it because you don't want her uncomfortable and having that, you know, waste your time recording that session when she's not in the groove and it may not be the most effective um, way to spend your treatment time if she's totally uncomfortable. So that's, that's another kind of thing to think about. Okay, next recommendation on this list is turn the television off before she gets there. It is really hard to start a session with a kid who is addicted to television and, and then you are the one going in and turning off the TV. I love it when moms have already done that or if I get there, if they've forgotten, they just say, oh, Laura's here, and go ahead and turn it off so that the mom is the bad guy or whatever instead of that being me. <coughs> but I will tell you that I turn off a lot of TVs even if mom doesn't do it or if mom has forgotten. Uh, or a lot of times I'll have, if they still have an old t older TV that a kid can reach the button, I'll say, go turn the TV off so we can play. And that's uh, kind of fun to do, too, for a kid sometimes. But, if again, if it's a kid that's really, really addicted to TV, go ahead and do it before she gets there so that she's not the one always having to do that and that she doesn't have to spend the first five or ten minutes comforting your child who's having a meltdown because Dora has been turned off. So you'll want to do that. Are you about to switch phones, Kate? Uh, no, not quite yet. I was just okay. about to say I always consider it the highest form of a compliment when my kids, even those who have been totally addicted into the TV they turn it off the minute they see me. Like I walk in and right. they run to the TV, and I always think, "Oh, that's so sweet." I mean, it's you know, for some kids to outrank Dora or Barney or whatever it is, is yeah. a huge compliment. And those, you know, yeah. sometimes they're the kids who cried initially, and now they realize, you know, this really is pretty cool. I can watch my Dora show later. So, right. but yeah, and I used to be timid about that. Believe it or not, anymore. Now I got over that a while ago. I say, um, would you mind if I turn off the TV? And usually, I'm halfway to the to the button to turn the TV off by the time I ask because I kind of feel like that's just, you know, really um, making it so much more difficult for the child and for myself. And you know, there's nothing on TV that they can't watch in an hour, so I turn it off. That's right. And earlier in my career, too, I would think, well, I'm in their home, and, you know, this isn't like a kid's show. Mom's watching Oprah in the background. And anymore, I'll just say, do you have another TV that you can go watch that on? If this is something you really, really need to see, feel free to go watch that, what you need to see, and then we'll be right here. And usually moms are kind of shamed into going, oh, no, 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 no that's okay. You know, yeah. or a dad that's not usually home that doesn't know the therapy routine, or, again, these older siblings that, you know, we deal with in the summer, that they haven't been there, they haven't known that we don't have the TV on. So it's, it is, um, it's nice if mom kind of takes the reins with that and has that, all of that worked out before you get there for the visit, or at least in the first couple minutes. So, again, she's the one handling that and not, 
the therapist coming in feeling like she has to take over your whole household to um, have an effective hour. Okay, the next one is sort of like that. It's put the kids' pacifier in the sippy cups away. And this would be with the caveat if your kid is not a sensory kid that doesn't need those things to really stay regulated and, and useful. I have one little guy right now that he uses his sippy cup during therapy and when I walk in to calm down because he gets so overstimulated really easily. He can go over kind of off the edge before I even, you know, realize. Now I'm getting good at it. I might have a 30-second head start on thinking, oh, no, oh, no. But I'm the one saying to mom, oh, where's the sippy cup? You know, almost when I first get there now because that's how we use it with him. And I overlap with his OT this week when I saw him, and she said, you know, what kinds of sensory supports are you using for speech? And I said, boy, that sippy cup has saved us a lot because he, when we see him, he's a runner. And so after he's made a lap or two, which he kind of does to help himself, you know, seek out that movement, help himself kind of process what we're doing, calm down, and he'll come back, take a sippy cup, turn it up, have a slurp or two, and then we're ready to go back to the next activity. And that's a great strategy, but there are children who have a sippy cup that the whole darn time they're hardly even drinking from it, but they just want to hold on to it, and it's sometimes those things really get in the way. So if your child doesn't need it to stay regulated and playing, you need to go ahead and put that away, especially if you have a kid who likes to keep his pacifier in his mouth. And I don't normally, I mean, I like pacifiers. I am pro-pacifier. I tell moms all the time, the reason he is not talking is not because he's using a pacifier. That's a favorite thing for lots of speech pathologists to recommend. They want a child weaned from the pacifier the day they start speech. I don't feel like that. But I do think that it's better if mom is taking that out of their mouths and putting that away while we're there so that he's more apt to want to try to talk rather than suck, 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 suck the whole time. But, again, if he needs it and is going to have fit after fit or fall apart or not be able to sit with me and play, I'd rather him have it, have it in than not. But that's only a, a smaller percentage of kids. It's not every toddler. So... Take the patsy out, go ahead and put it away so that, again, you're setting the stage for things to be great and not making the speech pathologist, again, be the bad guy when <laughs> she's coming in pulling it out of your baby's mouth. And I tend to, and again, I have a number of kids usually who they know Miss Kate's really probably not going to let them have that patsy, so along with I'm going to turn off the TV, a lot of them will have the patsy, and the minute they see me, they whip it out and stick it on the I think, yep, you're getting it, buddy. Yeah. You know the drill. Yeah. <laughs> and I have kids like that too. It's very funny. And I have had kids that will take their passy out and say something to me and then put it right back in. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's cute. And that's kind of how my kids were too. Having a pacifier really doesn't. It's not the only reason children don't talk. But if they're keeping it in their mouths and not saying it, more times often than not, don't you think you see kids trying to talk with a passy in their mouth? Oh, and then yeah. I say, I don't know what you're saying, and that's when I take it out at that point and kind of put it to the side so that he's not wanting it. But if you have a kid who really, really wants it and you think that it might be limiting some of the verbal uh, attempts that he would do, go on and take that passy out before your therapist gets there. All right, number four is my favorite one, and this is one that I really – try to talk to parents about doing from the get-go, and it's uh, it's do a warm-up before she comes, and I always tell moms this, you need to act so excited 
that your therapist is about to arrive. And you need to say, you don't need to say something like, oh, it's time to work. Here comes Laura, it's time to work. You know, I want you saying, oh, my goodness, Laura, it's Laura, she's here. Oh, you're going to have so much fun. And really building that up and setting the stage for it to be the best hour of your kid's life that day. And so you want to act really like you know that it's going to be successful. And so you want to, um, again, talk it up. And for lots of our kids who are really active and busy and who, as we would say, are sensory seekers, you want to do a little warm-up like swinging or jumping on the couch or trampoline or anything, running laps in your home. You want to do that about five minutes before they get there because if you've given their little bodies an opportunity to work out some of that extra busyness or um, – Again, as in our terminology, it would be really getting them regulated, and then they're ready to sit down and play when the therapist gets there. And I, I love moms who take the time to do that and, and really consider that their part of the therapy so that your hour is going to go a lot better. I'll do it with kids when I get there. If it's a sensory kid and I know that a mom hasn't done it for whatever reason, but for me it's so much better if mom kind of does that before we even get going. Don't you think so? Absolutely. I think, you know, I, there's also something to getting their verbal motors running. And a lot of kids, they really do do better. And we kind of do that. Can you hear me on this phone, Laura? Sure. Yeah. Let okay. me flip you over on the switchboard. We do that. And sometimes we have to do it even if mom has done it for us before because they're right. going to get off and we'll have to kind of work them back to a nice centered place. And so, but yes, it really helps if they will kind of warm them up for us because then they're, we hit the ground running as opposed to spending 10 or 15 or 20 minutes getting them in the right place for a good session. Right, and it works either way, for sensory kids either way. Kids who are really busy and active and they need that running or jumping or swinging really helps them calm down and attend. Or the opposite end of that spectrum, if you have a kid that we would call low arousal, that would be a kid that's kind of flat or a kid that needs a whole bunch of hyping up to get going. That running, swinging, jumping, if you can get them to do it, again, like Kate said, their motor's going by the time we get there, and they're really, their affect is higher, they're smiling, they're with you. They don't have that dazed, I'm not here look on their faces, um, and they're really ready to go. So it works with either one of those. I really try to talk to moms about that with virtually any kid. You know, I'll say, these are things that you can do to kind of get them ready for speech. Right. And most moms want to do that because they want your, they don't want the first 15 20 or 20 minutes of the session being you taking care of that kind of stuff. They get in the habit of doing it, and then it's, again, you're ready, and that hour is so much more effective than it would have been the other way. So and I like to recommend that. A lot of the kids right, you, need it in some form or another, and that's another argument for turn that TV off. Because that right. glassy-eyed, not-quite-there look is the way a lot of kids, and, hey, present therapists included, can look when yeah. they're out to the TV. So yeah. turn it off, get them moving, get them running, get them jumping, you know, do Ring Around the Rosie, do Row, Row Your Boat, do whatever it is you know to do, and get them ready to focus and really pay attention and and perform. Exactly, or it could be cleaning up the toys, getting all the, your own toys picked up in the den before I come in with mine. You know, that's a good thing to do. You know, kids are 
kind of busy around, you know, pick it up, and you can have it like it's a little ray. So oh, hurry. She's going to be here. She's going to be here. We've got to get ready. Come on, come on, come on. And, you know, you can do it kind of in that fun way. And, again, get a child to help you learn to pick up those darn toys. So, you know, that would that would be a good activity too. Okay, the next one is uh, number five, follow your therapist's lead with participating in the session. I love for moms to sit and play with us. I love it when the mom is down on the floor with us. I think it's so great when they're interacting. I think it's terrific when they hear me as I model a strategy and I'm saying, okay, this is how you do it, this is what I want you to do, and they jump right in and do it. However, there are some mothers that are so distracting to me and their kid that they'll say, they'll start talking about something else, They'll or they'll justify every darn thing. Oh, he can't do that. That's too hard. Oh, um, you know, the, just the comments that kind of get you off your game as a therapist and that really... Um, Again, disrupt the session. So I tell moms, uh, with them, and especially with moms like that, you know, I want you here, but, you know, I feel like that he is really looking at me, and so when you see him doing that, let me see if I can get that word or that sign. You know, give, give me a second because I really think he's kind of right on the verge here, and usually moms will back off at that point and realize that um, timing is huge in those first sessions with kids who might have been nonverbal. With And can't you see that sometimes, Kate, you, you almost have him. You just about have it, and you know that he is right on the verge of just doing a sign or just saying a word, and then Mom blurts out something like, I think it might rain today. And you go, oh, oh it's gone. Yes. And, you know, that's something that we've talked about in the past, but that I remind myself on a regular basis. Stay with it. Stay with it. Stay with it. If he's attending, if he's watching, if he's grinning, if he's twinkling in the eyes, you've got him. And for young children, staying with it, it's it's a long time. I mean, we both joke about, if I had to say ball one more time with that ball, <laughs> because you say it. And, and parents, I mean, if I'm still reminding myself this after 10-plus years, I totally understand why they don't get it. They think... And perhaps they have an older child. They said ball two times, and the kids said ball. So they're right. thinking, well, this isn't working. And right. so staying with it and being so repetitive is and simple, simple yeah. and repetitive. Mm-hmm. Simple is mm-hmm. so key to those early successes. And I think a lot of times, or sometimes, parents don't really get that, and they just think, well, this therapist is stuck. You know. <laughs> Exactly, or they'll, or they'll say, yeah, or I'll, I'll be prompting ball, and I, I'll see the kid's about to do it. I'll see in my mind, oh, my goodness, here it comes, here it comes, and mom will say, well, then tell her, please. Yeah. And you think, oh, let me just do my thing, please. I want you here, and I want you watching, but let me, let me get him. Let me do it. So mm-hmm. it is, if you're that mom listening right now, Try to follow your therapist's lead a little bit. If you think your presence is really disruptive and distracting, be available so that you can hear what's going on with the session. You certainly are there to learn, too. You want to watch your person in action and see what's effective and what's not. So you might sit on the couch. You might dust. You might check your email, you know, from the same room. You might do something to still be there and still be listening and still be watching and, in a way, participating but not being a distraction or disruptive. You know, and another thing that some moms do, too, is they almost 
subconsciously sabotage the session, and it's they can and I can I I don't see this. I guess I don't see it all the time, but I see it happen enough that I like to say it. Is they almost feel a teeny bit possessive, or um, they some moms really do have a hard time with their babies and their their young kids loving somebody else besides them, and so you can almost see. Um, with some moms, that little hint right there, and so sometimes I think, oh, you know, back, you know, I, I don't, I, he is never going to love me like he loves you. You are his mommy. I'm not here to take over your job. I'm not here to do any of that. But it is a positive thing when he's really connected to me and stuff. So don't kind of, you know, get any weird feelings about this because I'm going to leave and go on to the next kid's house. You know, this is we we want him to love me and we want to have that good relationship like we talked about yesterday or last time. But at the same time, don't feel threatened by that. You want your child to love your therapist. You want him to have a great time and a great relationship because it's going to make that communicating a lot easier. Another thing that moms do is they'll kind of jump in to rescue their child. And, again, I'm not a therapist that, you know, has a kid try to say something 25 times that I'm not going to give it to them unless they just say it, you know, perfectly. But at the same time, you can almost see a mom wincing when I'm doing withholding, and it's been that third or fourth time, and I'm saying, tell me, tell me, come on, you can do it, tell me. And I'll see them, you know, want to just say, oh, just give it to them anyway, which I'm going to do, (laughs) but they kind of chime in a little too early, or you can see that they're a little bit bothered. Siblings, don't you see that a lot with siblings, Kate? Like I'm trying to withhold, and they're almost reaching to get whatever it is out of my hand to hand it to baby brother or baby sister. Um, because they don't understand. And so you're not going to want to do that either where you're interfering. Let your person kind of do her job. And sometimes frustration for kids is good. It kind of gets them over the hump a little bit. So, again, try to kind of hold back a little and maintain your composure and not um, jump into rescue. It is important to tell a therapist something like, oh, my goodness, he slept terrible tonight. Kate, you said that you saw a little guy today that the mom kept saying, oh, he's just not having a great day. He's, you know, he's kind of off. We do want to hear that information, and we want you to tell us, but, you know, you don't have to, you know, the moms that kind of justify, he can't do that, or you're asking that too. You're asking him to do something he can't do, or if you do it in this way, he'll be able to do it. I have a family right now that everything I'm doing when dad is home, he's not home very much because he's in he does some international travel with his job, but every time I'm there, I think, oh, boy, because he always tries to tweak what I'm doing mm-hmm. with the kid to say, well, if you had him do it this way, and I'll say, well, this is why we're doing it this way. And it's a little boy that um, is pretty involved, and so he has some motor things going on. And I'll say, no, I really think he can do this. I really think he can put the ball in the hole. I really don't think I have to do that for him. So give your therapist some room to work, and again, you want to tell her when you don't think things are working or when it could go a little bit better, but don't jump in every two seconds trying to kind of correct what she's doing. And and you know your baby better than anybody. I'm not trying to step on a mom's toes with that. No therapist is ever going to know your child as well as you do. And it is important information when you want to share it, but just don't tie her hands so that she's so limited and she feels like... Why am I even here? You you know, you obviously don't need me. Um, So just be careful and kind of follow her lead with with what she wants you to do in the session. All right, number six, cancel the session if you know you're not going to get anything accomplished. And please, 
please cancel if, if anybody is at home with an illness that's contagious. And Kate, you alluded to this at the beginning of the show. We see lots of children that we probably shouldn't see sometimes because we get there and they're 10 or 15 minutes into the session, they're crying and on the floor and so frustrated because they're really too sick for you to be there. Or I've watched moms change dirty diaper after dirty diaper. And now on about that third dirty diaper, I say, he's obviously got a tummy bug and we're not going to get anything accomplished today. So I will see you guys next week. But if it's, if your child is sick he is not going to probably benefit from therapy that day so you do want to call the same goes true for dad who's at home with the flu and on the couch probably not the best use of that therapist time she might get that illness take it on to her next clients or even her own children her own family then she's out of work for days so don't do that just go ahead and cancel if somebody's homesick and I think that's more of my rule than your rule Kate I think you were better about thinking oh it's okay I'll go anyway, but I, I don't feel that way. Well, I've certainly seen my share of kids that I thought, oh, he's pretty, you know, a deep, barky cough and cruddy nose, and, you know, I'm thinking. Yeah. Oh. I've also had a number of moms um, who they say, well, he was sick, but he's better. And I say, oh, that's good. Yeah, I gave him some Tylenol this morning, and now he doesn't have a fever. And I'll <laughs> say for the record, <laughs> really better that just means that the analgesic is working that's so medicated if, yeah. yeah if he's running a fever that morning that qualifies that's a definite um please cancellation call. we, we yeah. well speak for us we're both mommies and 99 percent of therapists are mommies or 95 perhaps a very high percentage and we understand that sometimes kids get sick and you don't even you know they went to bed and they were fine and they wake up and they're running a fever and they're sick, yeah. so you know, of course, and we I like don't want to go. Notice, but if we, if it's five minutes before we're supposed to be there, and they say, "I'm terribly sorry, he's got a horribly runny nose, and he's very fussy," and I put him to bed, we get it. You know, yeah, totally. So, so call, 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 and and let us. Um, or I'll have a mom set call and say, "Okay, the night before last, he was up a lot. I took him to the doctor yesterday morning." He's been on antibiotic now for, and they'll stand there, 30 hours. Do you want to come or not, you know? (laughs) And then the therapist gets to make the decision. You know, you'll say, well, is he still running a fever? Is he still ready to play? Is he, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, But but as a rule, let your therapist make that decision. And, you know, we all know our own immune systems. I mean, I know I'm really susceptible to these respiratory things, so if it's, if you just absolutely think that it's not contagious, I'll go ahead and try to come. But then when I come down with it two or three days later, I'm going to really remember that. Um, so, you know, let your therapist kind of make that decision on that. And I'm, I tell people this on the first visit. And I'm sure you've heard me say it, Kate. I just flat out tell people the first day, if you are sick or if anyone in your home is sick, I do not want to come. I'd rather use our time on a different day. So I think lots of therapists feel that way, too. All right, number seven, handle your child's major behavioral issues when your therapist is there but not the minor ones. I had much rather ignore those little infringements like a kid throwing a toy or a child snatching something from my hand or, you know, any little thing. I don't care. We're just going to make that part of therapy. I'm usually going to ignore things until a kid does it and does it and does it. 
Now, but if it's something major like a kid, you know, is taking a toy and smacking your therapist in the face with it or he bites her or um, he's repeatedly just being nasty, step in at that point. But don't interject over every little thing. Or I'll have a kid say, a kid is trying to say Laura, and any two-year-old who tries to do a word with an L and an R, I am completely impressed with. And they'll say, no, it's Miss Laura. And I just think, oh, don't say that. Don't make them, you know, this is hard already. You know, don't try to do the little politeness, manners kind of things or, um, you know, tell her thank you, tell her please. You know, and I think, gosh, if I want to cue that word, if I think that that's really appropriate right now, believe me, I'm going to have him trying to say it. You know, and I respect mothers trying to instill those things and those manners and niceties from a very early age, and that's great. But don't try to police and constantly be doing those kinds of things while your therapist is there. Let her handle a lot of that unless it's a really, really big deal. Right. And I've had uncomfortable sessions. Normally, Mom, I mean, I feel fairly comfortable with how they respond. I've had both, though, extremes. One where they they intervene immediately, and it is some small infraction. And I think that a fair number of the kids we see, particularly in the beginning, but sometimes, you know, up until their third birthday, sometimes it really isn't so much behavior as it is kind of sensory overload for them. Right, right. Little behaviors like throwing a toy or um, not that I love that, I don't, but I don't necessarily always agree with um, a parent who may feel like that's just terrible, he's being bad. Um, or they try to put him in timeout over something that I just want to totally ignore and move on. Right. You know, and you think, oh, let it go, let it go. And, I, you know, I do have a fair number of parents who are pretty strict disciplinarians. And I, I might see that a little bit more than you do, Kate, like especially kids that are doing or parents that are doing behavioral things through their churches. And they think, okay, I'm going to really start this with my 18-month-old or two-year-old and, you know, are really, really strict about the timeout and first-time obedience and all those little key words. And I think, can, let's just not do that during speech. Please let me just handle these little things and not let it turn into a big behavioral meltdown because he tried to write on my paper or he kicked me when he was a little bit mad when I was going to try to make him or, you know, have him say a word before he got the ball again, you know, let your therapist kind of take the lead with those little things. And I usually ignore it, or I'll do kind of redirection, or if it's something really bad, I'm taking their little hands and pulling them into my face and saying, you know, no hitting or no kicking, and then we move right along. And it's not quite as big a deal as my mom or dad interject, and it turns into a big old 10-minute thing when it could have just lasted about five seconds. Right. I've also had the opposite extreme where, the child's out of control doing all kinds of <laughs> negative things and they don't necessarily intervene then. And in those cases, I have been bold enough on occasion to do whatever it is. You know, I say, okay, you're going to time out. I, I right. put an 18-month-old yesterday who I wasn't even working with. I was working with his brother. <laughs> <laughs> and that's another thing. Manage your other kids. Please, oh, please, well, please, this, please, this please. Case, I get them yeah. both. And it's a oh, you're seeing both kids. And a very aggressive, cute, darling little boy. But he's used to dominating the, the big brother. And if he doesn't get oh. what he wants, oh, he really acts out. And he was oh. hurling toys as mad as he could oh, be. Oh, no. And finally said, okay, you're going to the other room for a minute. 
And he did cal- calm down and come back, and it was fine. But the mom sat there and watched it and didn't do anything. And I just thought, okay, that's like t- toy number 20, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to ignore 20 toys flying through the air, so. And neither would I. Yeah, on about that. You were generous with that. I think. <laughs> on that like, third or fourth one, I would have been saying, Mom, hello, 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 right here. In a nice way, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but yeah, managing the other children—that's a—that's a really big deal. That's kind of the beginning thing we were talking about with the other distractions. A baby brother who hijacks your therapy session would be a major distraction. So you want to get him taken care of. Okay, we are almost at that 45-minute mark, so I think we'll save the rest of these for next time. Um, and next time, the other thing we're going to do is revisit kind of from a therapist perspective things that you can do to make your session successful and that's all those are articles that are also on the website too it's called um, what works in therapy sessions and then the converse opinion of that what doesn't work to help um, toddlers learn to talk so hopefully next week we can get through a lot of those if you have any topics that you want Kate and uh, me to address please email me at laura at teachmetotalk.com we would love to hear from you you could also leave a comment on my website, that's teachmetotalk.com, and then just find an article or um, you have to always put it in the comment section, and those, again, are always at the bottoms of articles. But if you are don't want to call us yourself, which we love, and talk about that, you can feel free to leave it on the website or send us an email because we absolutely love answering questions from moms and other therapists. That, that's why we do the show. So I hope we hear from you, and I hope everybody uh, joins us again next week, next Thursday, 2 o'clock. Okay. Have a good mom time. Okay. Thanks. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.